This is Raynor's podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about what the future holds at the intersection of creativity and technology. I am Ray Namoto, the founding partner of IONCO, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. How can a creative profession have a meaningful impact on business? This has been a consistent question that I keep asking myself and that I explore in this podcast as well. In the previous episode, I had the conversation with David Lee, the Chief Creative Officer of Squarespace, who went from being a designer to a right-hand person to the CEO of one of the most successful tech companies in New York City. And I really wanted to understand his journey and how he made that transition and transformation being a a hands-on designer to a business executive and business leader. In part two, he talks about creativity at the adult's table. Having been a creative myself and him being a creative throughout our careers, we know that creatives and designers often for better or worse, get seen or we are seen as the crazy ones or the wild ones. But that may not be good enough for us to be relevant and to survive. And he shares his thoughts and insights on how he made that transition and how he sees the role of creativity and role of creatives moving forward in the context of business and technology. So, Let's get started. Going back to the original topic of creatives and creativity having a seat at the adult's table. So a couple of questions from that. What do you mean by the adult's table is one. And second is, was it when, was it when you were at TBWA within the Omnicom family that you, you talked about when you went to a big agency network and you started to see the importance of the business aspect of the given business and learned how to speak the the language. And then you eventually made your transition into the tech space, product space with with Squarespace. But two things, one is how do you define, what do you mean when you say creativity at the adults table? And for you, what was that transition? When was that transition? specifically? Well, I can certainly start with what I mean by why creatives needs a seat at the adults table. Um, I think for some odd reason in our industry, in our business, we're taught to treat creative people like kids, right? And what I mean by that is we're always sat at the kids table, right? Where are the kids? There's music blaring, right? We're throwing food around. It's like, you know, it's like we're at, we're at the children's table. And every once in a while, one of those kids will go up to the adult's table, right? And you'll, you'll kind of sit in a chair and kind of go, hey, what's all this business stuff that you're talking about? Like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind helping out and what have you. And for some odd reason, we're always told, don't worry about it, son. Just go back to the kid's table. Continue your potato painting drawing that you're doing, you know, and um, I would argue in 2023, that is the most archaic or design model um, that I could see. 
especially if you're on a, I mean, look, it, when you're at an agency, yes, creative is, is, is part of it. Obviously, you know, it's one of the trifecta of like client services, strategy, creative, you know, production. But when you get to the brand side, what you realize is that creative is usually a not as respected um, as an agency, I would say. And I'm speaking in very broad, sweeping generalizations, right? Um, I would say that's like number one. Number two, it's usually a creative department and creative people are usually buried multiple levels deep, right? You, you, you're not very close to where the ultimate business decisions are actually happening. And especially in a world where I believe, you know, where you have so much machine learning, automation, artificial intelligence, large language models, and what have you that are going to, you know, completely wipe out certain white collar jobs and, and what have you. I would argue that in today, creativity might actually be the only job left, right? And I'm not talking creative as in people who are labeled as creative. I would actually argue in every discipline, in every role, right, is that if you wake up one day and realize that you're just doing the same repetitive task every single day, I would watch out, right? And it doesn't matter what 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 job you have, right? Because I, I, there is a tech company there is a there's a brand that's going to try and automate that way automate that job away in in the very near future right and i would argue that this might actually be the next golden age of humanity where creativity is really the only thing humans have as any value add back into the world so it would behoove any fortune 500 company uh, or even a startup not to have people sitting at that executive table at that adults table who are about thinking critically about solving problems in unique and innovative kind of like ways. Right. And like, that's kind of like what I mean. The, the reason why I think I found that at Squarespace is because I believe the DNA of the company is very, very much rooted in the things that I care about. Right. So when the founder and CEO started this company, um, he, it was he wanted to create an all-in-one platform for anyone to to create an online presence, right? But I would argue it's like the value proposition really stems from the fact that he wanted to he was looking at the World Wide Web at that point, and it was the Wild West. It was the most unconsidered, undesigned uh, place like in the world, and he wanted to to um, beautify the World Wide Web, and he wanted to create a platform. That could actually take take the all the best things in design and to allow people to put out something that really they would felt proud of and that felt representative of their personal brand. So the company was founded with creativity, design, and brand as a as a huge part of the genesis story of the company. Um, and what I tell people is that you learn a lot about the company when you can hear it from the horse's mouth from the founder, from the person who started the company, why they created the company, right? You can learn a lot purely just from getting that information out there. And you can learn a lot about who they put in that first concentric circle outside of him or her, right? That's a quick tell on what that company actually cares about. And in the case of Squarespace, you know, he wanted someone who obviously understood the product world and like the tech world, but someone who knew how to build a brand. So I guess I kind of fit that kind of like overlap, right? Then I kind of hit that, um, 
in the middle of that Venn diagram. And um, but he was, I mean, this is someone who cared so deeply about these things right from the start that it made my my life much easier, right? And it, it made, um, you know, at that point, I think we were like, I don't know, maybe seventy five people or what have you. Uh, it, it made it easy for me to, you know, kind of like partner up with him and to to be that design and creative and brand voice um, alongside with him. But I would I would argue it's still the reason why we're really proud of some of the work that we put out into the world. While we're proud of the product uh, that we put out into the world, is because during my ten years, it's 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 still the same thing, right? Design and creativity has that seat at the executive table, and I don't see that changing uh, anytime soon. Yeah. So a couple of follow up questions from the points that you just made. The first one would be, what is specific things that the founder or the CEO of Squarespace said to you when you were considering Squarespace as your next chapter? What are specific things that were the tell that he cared deeply about the things that you care and not just the functionality of the product, but the brand of the product, right? Or the brand itself. Do you recall any specific conversations that made you think, okay, this person gets the things that I get? Yeah, I do, actually. I do. I actually remember mm. it pretty, pretty vividly. Um, and the reason why I can remember this is that it took me a long time to actually convince myself that Squarespace was the next move for me. Because, um, I mean, the way I've telegraphed this story, it made it seem like this was like the natural next step. But in reality, this was right after like the 2008 housing crash and what have you. It was it was a little bit of a tumultuous time. Um, the economy was uh, a little bit shaky. And here I was, I a, had a really great job, right, at this worldwide network and um, had met someone uh, who I could only have conversations with every once in a while because I was just consistently like never in New York and traveling all the time. So I think it took me maybe a year and a half or two years of speaking um, with Anthony, the founder and CEO, to um, for me to get convinced that this was the next chapter for me. And I can recall a couple of things. Um, so number one, I remember the first meeting I... Um, I went to go see him at their current office. And I always tell this story because another thing which I find is a quick tell on if a company really believes in design and creativity is that you get to learn a lot about someone when you visit their their house and their and their or their office <laughs> very, very quickly. It's why I actually say it's one of the best brand expressions of of any company or brand or individual is that mm. you don't have to say anything. You can just view and take it in and you will learn a lot about an individual or a company purely just by being inside um, their home. And I remember this when I went to the office and again, the company wasn't the size as it was today, uh, but the amount of care and the amount of nuances that were put um, in this office, still in startup mode, was pretty impressive. Uh, way more impressive than some of the past agencies 
uh, that I had worked with, that I had worked for, hmm. right? Like the amount of, um, like you could see that he questioned every single nuance of every single design element of, hmm. of that office. And it made an impression on me. Like furniture and the de- the interior design of the space. Is that what it is? Yes. Alongside hmm. the choice of the block that you put your office in. And this was like right, right in the middle of like Soho to um, the, the experience when you, when the elevator doors open up, right. What, how, how you feel to how all the meetings rooms were, were partitioned, right. To the, the fact that all the desks were very, very well designed and there were no trash cans anywhere because he had this, like he, he just w- did not want to see trash, like just like strewn on everyone's desks underneath it. Like there was like this, mm, mm. like there was something really considered and really thought out about how it was designed, what, how the programming was, what was the flow going from meeting room to meeting room, what the interiors of the meeting rooms actually looked like to the furniture, to all of the above. And that's just simply not something that a startup um, at that stage, m- most startups just don't, care about those things but uh anthony did and squarespace did so uh, i would say that that was a very first impression a very good impression that i knew that this is ultimately a tech company that really cared about design and brand i would say another thing you know after meeting you know, him multiple times. And we had quite like a fractured, like we would speak, I'd be off for like a month, I'd come back, we'd speak again. So, you know, it it was, um, it was a little bit of like a fractured, like stop and go, stop and go kind of like conversation uh, that we had. But I think when I was getting a little bit closer to, to convincing myself that this was, you know, the right next chapter for me, there was, this conversation that I remembered, which was, it was a little bit of this like competitive fire in him, which is something that I genuinely have as well. Where I think you remember, I remember him saying, it's like, look, we're either going to have a story on a yacht one day of how great this is going to be, or we're going to have a story at the local bar down the street of what could have been. But either way, he's, I'm not here to waste anyone's time. Uh, he wanted to swing for the fence, right? And he would he would go down swinging and striking out, but he wasn't here to do incremental kind of like gains. He wanted to create these big step functions, like these big seismic step functions. And what it what he what it kind of um, what I took away from that is that this is someone who's um, he his ambition is very big, right? He had a great product. I believed his product um, was one of the most progressive and avant-garde versions of any web publishing platform out there. It was focused solely on the creative community at that time, which is another tell on what, what, you know, what he and the company cared about because he did say that um, the reason why we started with the creative community is because creative people are the most fickle, right? They're going to they're gonna argue about every single design element, every single nuance of something. If you can make the creative community happy, everything else will fall into place, right? Every other kind of like vertical, every, like every other cohort of an audience will 
will appreciate that we started there because creative people are the most fickle, right? So I already got that from the product standpoint, which is what drew me in. I could already understand from knowing him that he cared about, he actually walked the walk even in like the office and even how he kind of like behaved. But the third thing, which which was probably the catalyst that I just mentioned was there was this ambition and bravery and um, that I really appreciated because truthfully, what I told myself is that, look, I'm going to give this a year. And if I, if I, if I feel like this isn't working out, hopefully I can, you know, walk back to the agency world with the, with the tail between my legs and hopefully that they will welcome me back. But I had no idea that this would last 10 and a half years, right? 10 years. Yeah. I had no idea. Right. And I had no idea of, you know, us being, uh, a public company now and, you know, being like 1700 employees. And it, it's just, that's just, I would be lying if I told you that that's where I saw the, um, you know, the reality of where this would be 10 years later, but I liked the competitive fire mm. in him and mm. the, the belief that we have the best product, but we have to build the best brand at the same time. Right. Like we, we had, he felt we had the best product, yeah. the best product that no one heard about. Right. And we want to start with the creative community, but then we would go really, really horizontally. Um, and look, 10 years later, that's what we've done. We've taken some right. really, really yeah. big gambles and some big bets. Um, we, we started with the creative community yeah. and we've been slowly try to convince people on the power of design, the power of branding, right? To, to different verticals mm -hmm. and different audiences now. And like, that's kind of where mm -hmm. we are in, in the journey of where we are right now at Squarespace, right? You know, the web, the web has changed dramatically yeah. in 10 years. And obviously it's up to us, you know, to, right. it went from, from there to, you know, web 2.0, everything went mobile. Uh, and then it went to like the transactional part of the web where, you know, people want to be able to transact and sell things and like what have you and kind of onward. So it's our mm -hmm. job to obviously keep track of where the web is going, but the constant has always been uh, making sure that our value proposition of democratizing great design, right? Stressing the importance of, the, of your mm -hmm. brand, whether it's a personal or business brand, is really going to be the different difference maker um, in the world because in in the past we would meet IRL like this and that first impression you make really matters, right? I would argue today that first impression mm. does not happen face to face anymore. It happens online. So mm. we use a saying that mm. it's almost it's almost like what your what your Google search result. <laughs> of your name or your company is really that first impression. So what do you mm. want people to see when they get there? Right? It's the mm. official, it's the official you, right? So in some ways I feel like we're selling online real estate. Mm. That's actually what we're selling. Right? Mm. And mm. Um, right, right. Now this is a run on yeah. sentence. <laughs> so, yeah. No, got it, got it. The Speaking of the creatives and creativity being at the adults table, and you talked about big bets and swinging for the fence that you and Anthony have done in the past decade plus, but can you recall a moment or two when because you were in the room, 
right, the decision that Anthony or the business made swayed one way versus the versus another way, and the business benefited from creativity. Give us a, give us a sense or give us an example or two of those moments. I mean, I can give you a lot because even today, there, there's a lot of decisions made. Uh, obviously, keep making sure the business is on track, but there's still some, you know, some some significant bets that we uh, that we make constantly. Look, I think it's no surprise if you followed, um, you know, my career trajectory at, at Squarespace or or the uh, the narrative arc of Squarespace over the last ten years, is that. Um, Super Bowl has been a big part of what we've, you know, we've made big bets on, right? Because these are like expensive, these are very expensive endeavors. Mm -hmm. And here's the one example that I'll say, which was definitely a big gamble, a big financial investment, and one of the scariest moments of my career, uh, all all at the same time. So you have to understand, Mm -hmm. I was literally only at Squarespace for maybe seven months when I remember, I think having like a a good drink with Anthony and him kind of going up to me and saying like, what are ways that we can just create that big step function? Right? Like how do we, maybe it's, it's both of our impatience, right? Or maybe it's both of our competitive fire where we had this conversation and I had no, this is almost as a 100% joke. I went up to him and said, well, we could do a Super Bowl ad. That'd be pretty funny. That'd be a pretty big bet. Uh, completely thinking that this would be out of the the ballpark of things that we could actually do. And I think it, it took him about 10 seconds and he said, let's do it. Like within 10 seconds. And he might remember this story a little bit differently, but uh, that's how I remember it. And I literally went from laughing, going, ha, 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 Mm. that's funny, to then the next morning, just like double checking with him. It's like, you don't actually want to do this, right? He's like, no, 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 let's let's scope this out and see, like, like, what better way to introduce the brand to the world than on the world's biggest stage? It's like, then we went through the exercise of like, how much does it cost? And Mm. how are we going to produce this? This is at the moment where we didn't have uh, an in-house agency. It was basically me and a few designers, right? So there was no reason why we should be doing a Super Bowl ad, number one. Number two, there's no reason we should be doing it in-house hmm. at that time at all without any help of an external agency. And hmm. truthfully, that was kind of one of the scariest moments of of my career. Um, and it was in the first year, it was in the first year of Squarespace. Um so for so it was ten, it was ten years ago. Yeah, it was it was it was it aired about nine years ago, I think. But it started like the making, like the the conceiving of what the idea is, what the what the message is, how are you going to pull this off, and bringing in like a skeleton crew of like freelancers, like like some creatives, some some producers to actually make this and to mm. find the right director and production company without anyone knowing who Squarespace was. Right, uh, on a little bit of a shoestring budget because um, mm-hmm. you know obviously we were much smaller at, at that time, uh, and just the media uh, dollars alone of buying that thirty second uh, spot on the Super Bowl was 
uh, very, very expensive, right? So, well, it's in the millions. I mean, it's public information. It's in the millions, isn't it? It's in the millions. I don't recall. It's definitely much more expensive today, you know, with inflation mm. like over time. But you know, for a startup, that's pretty. That's pretty expensive, right? So the pressure, the the pressure. I remember the pressure cooker, um, like feeling like the anxiety and the pressure of this, and it was um, one of the most interesting visceral moments <laughs> that I can remember during my tenure at Squarespace. And I remember when we were making it, I was second guessing myself. You know, is this even going to move the needle at all? Uh, am I going to fall flat on my face? Because ultimately, I have no one but myself like to blame for something like that, especially if you're going to do this uh, all in-house. And I remember being so afraid that I didn't want to watch it with anyone uh, at Squarespace or what have you. I had to watch it alone. And I went with my, um, uh, with my wife at the time and we went to, to Miami just to be completely away from it. I didn't even watch the Super Bowl. I remember I was at dinner and I get a text from him going, it just, it just went live. And I was like, I'm not going to pay attention to this. And um, look, the TLDR here is that, is it the proudest creative moment of my life? Probably not. But did I learn something from it? More than you can ever imagine and more than I could ever articulate um, from just the process and the fear. and and um, But it ended up doing a sizable, we actually ended up tracking it. And then all we saw were landings on squarespace.com and then trials, 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 trials. It was pretty unbelievable to actually see something like a Super Bowl ad actually go into motion and seeing how quickly something like that could actually move the needle. And I think it almost took down Squarespace at that time. There was so much like, like, like there was, there was so, it was getting so much traffic at the exact same time, right? Pro- probably because no one had ever heard of Squarespace. Uh, we had a very brave ad, which was pretty, pretty odd. What was the first one? This was literally, there was no celebrity. We couldn't afford one. Um, this was all about painting the picture of how the World Wide Web was the wild, wild west. Right, so we had this idea of oh, okay. uh, that a better web uh, awaits, and that's what Squarespace hmm. was. So we we tried to pitch this really dystopian future idea where we took like what the experience yeah. was online, and we brought that I- into the real world, like with all the pop up banners and hmm. things like this, and uh, all the clickbait kind of like rabbit holes that you can fall towards. And we tried to paint this really dystopian view of what the internet was. And then right at the end, we were, our job was to help beautify the web. The idea was actually pretty great. I think trying to, in hindsight, trying to do a dystopian future Blade Runner thing on a, on a shoestring mm. budget probably wasn't hmm. <laughs> for our first uh, Super Bowl ad. I probably could have conceived something a little bit simpler than that. Uh, but yeah, I'm proud of it. Um, I still got an ulcer in my stomach from all the stress of putting that out. Uh, and <laughs> it, it tangibly did something to the business. I would say it's, 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 it does like we, you could actually tell, right. Just from like the business metrics and seeing like the traffic and seeing the trials kind of going up and seeing, 
you know, all the PR and the aura and the organic buzz that it actually generates in this one water cooler moment, like undeniably, like at that moment, like you could tell what, you know, what the results are, because it's really hard to track something like that. Right. right. You know, like it's right. really, it's really hard to track, like, you know, was it, is every subscription we have attributable to a piece of brand advertising we do, hmm. you know, no. Right. Right. But right. It, do, it, it definitely did something to the business, which is why it's been, you know, a, a staple thing that we've done almost consistently year over year uh, ever since that point. And we've uh, gotten a little bit better at it. But yeah. Right, right, right. Tech companies are notorious for hating advertising. Right. Starting with somebody like 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 Jeff Bezos saying that advertising is a, you know, is a price you pay for the for a bad product that you have. Right. Sure. So it sounds like if I'm dissecting what you have said and just the fact that Squarespace has advertised, especially at things like Super Bowl and other places fairly consistently, you know, is, is this something that works that well that you would recommend to every company tech owner? Um, I am not here to recommend. Maybe we need that. We need that. <laughs> we need, we need a separate episode to just talk about that. Possibly. Um, would I recommend this strategy to other tech brands or other just kind of brands in general? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I, I think for all the reasons that I just explained about what the unique DNA of Squarespace, that the Squarespace has um, and what we care about and our competitive nature and drive Right. And um, it's kind of in the water that everyone drinks at the company. Uh, it's, it's kind of like baked into the DNA of the halls of the company um, at this point that it's become a thing where we've proven to, you know, that it not only does something tangibly for the business, but it's also just something that we want to challenge ourselves creatively every single year as well because we we do we do care about that and we do care about our brand um uh, a lot i i also think that we we have a a very different lens on how we do a lot of our marketing and our advertising and our creative storytelling um i think the reason why most people say advertising is bad is because most advertising is bad I like we don't treat the the consumer with respect, right? We 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 hit them on the head with the same thing. Most companies just say what they do and they wear it on they on their sleeve. Um, we we tend to do something a little bit different. Where if we're gonna put advertising out into the world, we want to make sure it's entertaining. We want to make sure there's a wink. We want to make people kind of like laugh. We want to actually respect people's audience and put something out that we're actually proud of and hopefully that people like enjoy, right? That's a big part of it. Like we, and, and we, we will stop ourselves at a certain point and kind of go, I, I don't know, like if we're going to pummel someone with a campaign, we, we better make sure that not only are we proud of it, but uh, that we're respecting like the audience with the type of work that we do. And I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of brands out there who have that same mentality. Um, it's, it's, it has to work obviously, or we wouldn't do it, right? We're the first to kind of pivot. If we see something not work, we'll, we'll pivot strategy. We'll, we'll pivot the creative and like, you know, swap it out. But 
it's not the only thing. There are times where we we still want to put things out that we're just proud of because we feel like it's a good representation of the brand. And, um, you know, you might call that cavalier. You might call that risky or, or, um, but we're, we care about, we care about our brand, um, uh, massively at the company. Yeah. And I mean, just the fact that you've been doing something like a Super Bowl ad fairly consistently in the past almost 10 years or so means that it's, it's having a positive impact on your brand and your business. It has, we even took a year off in between and decided to, to not do the Super Bowl to see what it does or did not, (laughs) or, you know, because, you know, we're obviously curious, right. And we're, we're, we're business owners uh, at the end of the day. Right. So I remember we, we, we took um, a backseat one year, but here was the test. We did a campaign, right. That was equally as big as a Super Bowl. It had a celebrity, had a celebrity director kind of attached to it. Right. And we actually did one, except it wasn't on the Super Bowl. And we put it out to see, what, were, what was the difference in, in results? And I can tell you, um, it was a campaign I was really proud of, but there's... Which one, which one was that? Which campaign was that? This is the one we did with uh, Idris Elba. Uh, and um, yeah, and it was uh, directed by Spike, Spike Jones, who's obviously a director that I've always mm-hmm. wanted to work with, who, who did an amazing job. And we, um, you know, it ended up being like a very like award-winning campaign mm. that we've done. And I, the thing that was missing, you just, no matter how big of celebrities you have, you are missing out on a pop culture moment. Right. By not being on the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you think about this, the Super Bowl is the only time where people even care about advertising. <laughs> right. And there's been studies that most people who are watching don't even care about the game. They're there to be entertained Mm -hmm. by the ads, right? And the amount of organic PR uh, that you get pre, during, and post, Mm. the thousands and thousands of mentions is is very valuable. Mm. And it's all earned, right? It will cost you a lot of money otherwise to get that amount of uh, mentions of your brand. Uh, I'm not here to justify it. It costs X amount of millions, but what you're talking about is there's something mm. that you just cannot put your finger on. That is this pop pop culture moment where everyone just talks about it mm. and you cannot get away from it. Right. And um, so I call it like a game within the game. There's the actual game where people are throwing a pigskin mm-hmm. <laughs> football across like the across the field mm-hmm. and then there's the there's the advertising game right and again going to our competitive nature right 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 th- we we like that challenge right we've we like being like the indie alternative brand uh, we like being the indie alternative brand mm-hmm. that shows up on the world's biggest stage of, with all the pop stars right right because we're still consistently one of the smaller companies, right, 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 that that do a Super Bowl ad each and every year. Mm-hmm. But we like that David and Goliath mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it requires us to do things that are a little bit different, or a little bit odd, or a little bit weird, where we go really quiet when everyone's 
hosting fireworks and things like that. It requires us to think right. about what makes us different and to try right. and find ways of, of standing out. And um, right. I like I like that feeling like your back's against the wall. I like the feeling that uh, you're in like the minor leagues and now you're in the major leagues. And mm-hmm. um, like I, I, hopefully that's something that we'll never lose, even if we get you know ten times like the size of where we are today, because we haven't lost mm-hmm. it even when we were like fifty people when this started out. Right. Right. What keeps you up at night as a professional? Um, I've always known um, where the North Star is pointed to. And I'm always someone who likes to put flags in the ground. And I like to have these like micro goals to like walk towards. And then as soon as you get there, you pat yourself on the back, you plant the next flag in the ground. Hmm. The I think it's only been in the last couple of years where it's been – at least professionally, career-wise, this has nothing to do with Squarespace, right? This has to do more with like me in my personally uh, looking at my professional career. I think this is the first time where it's been a little bit hazy what that next flag in the ground actually is for me personally um, as a professional, which is probably why uh, I feel like I'm in good hands right now. And I'm at a, actually a great situation because I've always known where, where, where that next flag in the ground is. Um, but I'm someone who's um, just constantly trying to reinvent yourself, who's constantly trying to push um, to do different things. And uh, yeah, sometimes I worry about, uh, am I on, have I been in the same gear? Yeah. You know, yeah. for, for a little while, is it time to, to switch gears, mm. uh, try something completely different? And, you know, for what it's worth, I've uh, convinced myself uh, otherwise. And mm. I'm still here because for some odd reason, I thought doing an, an initial public offering and actually becoming a public company at Squarespace was the, the end. It was like the, it was like the, it was the end zone because we've been trudging this thing through the mud for so long. And when we finally got there, it was such a great feeling. Um, and by the way, as a side note, to represent design and creativity at that stage, to be at the New York Stock Exchange, to ring the bell, to actually be there at that adults table uh, was one of the best feelings in my entire life, mm. I would say, outside of like the birth of my daughter. Starting point, yeah. Which I wish, I really wish everyone could actually experience one, once in their life. Yeah. Um, however, it was, it was a quick fast follow to the day after you wake up a little hungover <laughs> and you realize that this wasn't the end zone or the end goal. This was actually just a starting blocks. Mm. This is actually just a starting point. I actually spent 10 years to get to the starting line. Mm-hmm. And that was a weird, that was a very weird feeling. That was, that was a very weird feeling to, to actually have. And, you know, we just passed our, our two year anniversary of being a public company. And like, there's just, there's just so much work to do. Um, I would say other things that like, that keep me up at night. It's, it's part professionally and part personally is, um, I don't know about you, but time is going by so quick in my mid forties. Like I blink and years have gone by. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to find ways to slow down. Mm. And it's, it hasn't worked <laughs> quite well. Where um, I'm someone where if I do something, I have to put the blinders on and like go directly 
at this challenge and this goal. And there's, um, there's a residue of that, you know, from a personal standpoint, like families and things like that, where I'm trying to become more present, mm. you know, when I'm, when I'm with my family. And I think I've gotten a little bit better at that, but I'm still someone who's, my mind is constantly turning mm. and it's really, it's really hard to stop that hamster wheel. Mm. And the, I guess maybe this is just getting, you know, mid age and realizing that half of your life has passed and so much of it, especially in the last, for me, like 23 years has been spent um, just being on this hamster wheel and going really, really hard for so long is, is that the best use of time? You know, um, I used to care about legacy. Hmm. We actually had this conversation um, uh, not too long ago. Yeah. I used to care about leaving some sort of imprint in this world before I leave and go off to Never Never Land, right? Um, and I think the older I've gotten, I'm starting to question that a little bit. I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know what's happened. Maybe it's like having a, a 10-year-old daughter now where I'm starting to see that. Maybe, maybe that's all the legacy. Mm -hmm. I actually need, right? And maybe, maybe it's fool's gold. Maybe, maybe this whole thing that we've been on and this hamster wheel that we've been on is, is fool's gold. Mm. And that, um, like happiness is a weird, a very weird thing to explain, mm. right? And I'm not, I'm not saying the goal of life should be happiness because I, I actually think that's also fool's gold. Mm -hmm. But, um, maybe it's just me midlife crisis at this moment <laughs> in time where I'm starting to question a lot of the things that I thought were um, absolutely things that I needed to do mm -hmm. where now I'm starting to think a little bit differently about that. Right. I'm always going to be someone who's going to be busy and, mm -hmm. and I have tons of hobbies and things that I want to do, but mm -hmm. um yeah, maybe I'm at this weird crossroads in life of like, what is the meaning of it all? How much time have we spent burning the midnight oil on both ends mm -hmm. in like the jobs that we've done uh, in a search of something, uh, in the quest of something that we won't even be able to appreciate when we're gone, mm. right? So, um, yeah, those are things. I'm trying to find a way to pause and slow down time. And I think boredom is ultimately the thing that leads to slowing time down because I think we live in a world where we're just inundated with way too many inputs that the brain isn't able to actually really absorb all of this stuff that I think even my memory, my memory has turned pretty shit at this <laughs> point because I don't think, I don't think this like this, this, membrane in your head is supposed to have this many inputs, this many notifications, this many slacks, this many emails, this much content, right? This many distractions that um, time is going by very, very quickly where I'm trying to find a way to like uh, be more present at this point and to um, smell the roses a little bit more. But I worry about the future generations um, a little bit. Well, maybe then the next time we record a conversation, we can inquire about the meaning of life. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone wants to hear that. 
Lightning questions. During the interview, we dig deep into different topics surrounding creativity. On the contrary, with this section, we ask the same questions to the guests to react on the spot and we don't let them see the questions in advance. If you weren't doing this job, the career that you had, what else could you see yourself doing? Build my own company, build my own brand. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Asia. Seoul. Because, because I don't speak Korean and I want to force myself to be put into a professional situation where I have to learn Korean. A close second would be Tokyo because my wife grew up in Tokyo. Yeah. So, yeah. Where's the next place that you want to travel to? I travel way too much、uh, in my life, both professionally and personally. That the next place I want to travel to and stay for a while is, is my home. What's your favorite food or favorite dish? Kimchi chige. It's a kimchi soup. My mom used to make it. It's still,、mm. I hated it when I was a kid, and now it's the thing I, I, I crave the most. Comfort food. What's your favorite song or your favorite type of music? Well, the only music I can listen to now is Taylor Swift because anytime we're in the car, my daughter hijacks、um, the, the stereo pretty consistently. So、um, all I've been hearing is Taylor Swift. And、uh, she's now asked me to go to a concert for her birthday, which is going to cost me a pretty penny if I actually do that. So, yeah. Well, she's on a tour, so, you know, might be the, the, the timing. It's going to be tough. What's the, the most important turning point, in, turning point in your life? I think the birth of my daughter, for sure. Not even, not even comparable. What's your superpower? You know, I just had this conversation because I actually don't think I really have a superpower.、Um, I think there are better designers than me. I think there are better art directors than me. I think there are better copywriters. I think there are better people who can write a TV script, what have you.、Um, I think. If you ask someone else, because I find this quite narcissistic of me even mentioning it like, on my own, but I think my superpower is connecting the dots and willing things into existence. I think it's like putting, putting things out into the universe and making it happen. That's, if you ask other people what my superpower is, that's probably what they would say. Last question, and something that we talked about in this, in this episode quite a bit. To you, what is creativity? Coming up with a unique idea to a very regular problem. This was part two of my conversation with David Lee, the Chief Creative Officer of Squarespace. Looking back, Uh, my history with David, it was refreshing to have a proper conversation about his career and the role that he plays as a business executive and business leader in a company that, that I've followed for a long time. And, and also, I've used the products that Squarespace has released into the world. So it was really, really interesting and inspiring to hear from a good friend of mine. In a conversation that I wouldn't normally have at a,、uh, at a dinner table or over drinks. One unexpected anecdote that David shared that I wasn't expecting was、um, his experience right after he released the, Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl spot that he 
lead. He said that it was too nerve-wracking to watch in front of TV with other people, so he watched it by himself. And just having known David for such a long time, and that was a, a, an unexpected episode that he shared and that made me chuckle and smile. There were a couple of key takeaways as usual from this part of my conversation with David. Takeaway number one was you learn about someone by visiting where they work and live. He revealed that it took him a long time to decide to join Squarespace. I think he said a year or a year and a half before he finally decided, particularly because at that time, the economy in the US was right after or right around the Lehman shock and it was very, very uncertain. But he made that decision or one of the, the factors that influenced his decision was when he went to visit Anthony, the CEO of Squarespace at his office. And he noticed that there were no trash bins in the office because Anthony didn't want that kind of clutter in that space. David says, like I said, you learn about someone by visiting where they work or even live. And Anthony's philosophy, whether conscious or subconscious philosophy of creating beauty in the context of the web was diffused into the environment in which he worked as well. And the elimination of trash bins was an indicator to David, okay, this person cares about beauty and this is somebody, some, somebody that I can work with and he cares about the same things that I do. I actually have met Anthony a long time ago, I think over drinks or over dinner, but I wasn't able to pick up on that side of him because you know, he was in a public space and I didn't really see that kind of detail I wasn't able to pick up on those elements of an individual. And I give Anthony for having that kind of care about beauty, but also I give a lot of credit to David for picking that detail up and using it as a way to make a decision. Another thing that stood out in this conversation was how he was talking about the first Super Bowl spot that he created. And he said that as a joke, almost as a joke to Anthony, and Anthony turned around to him and said, let's do it. And David was completely surprised by that. The, what that story told me, and he used this term in my conversation, was swinging for the fence. It's not just about you know, doing multiple things to see what sticks, but picking something and really trying to hit a home run, swinging for the fence. And that's a trait that few people have because it's easier and potentially it's safer to hedge bets, you know, multiple uh, pieces going on at the same time or multiple chips in different uh, different stacks of your, your bets and see what wins. But in Squarespace case and in David's case, they tried to swing for the fence and that's why they've had such a, an incredible success as a company Anthony started on his own when he was in his 20s and 
several years later, 10 years later, David joined Anthony. And then now they, I think in 2022 or 2021, they went public at the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, it's taken a while, but because of these moments where they decided to swing for the fence and sometimes they may have struck out sometimes they may not have uh, hit a home run but you know if you look at their company and their success they have definitely hit several home runs that's why where they are in terms of success and i wish nothing but the best moving forward for them and finally this is less of my takeaway but it's a message from david uh, as well as myself included but you know, David was the one who emphasized the importance of having creatives and creativity at the adults table. Traditionally, in environments that we worked in, creatives were at, technically at kids table and the money decisions were being made by, you know, other executives and suits, so to speak. He made the point of going to those adults table and seeing what they were doing and even eventually earning the seat to be at that table and he continues to uh, to be influential in the context of the company that he uh, works for uh, currently i hope that more people more executives realize the importance of creativity in the context of business and having that voice be present uh, in order to propel the company forward and having creativity at the adults table can really make that difference. To summarize, key takeaway number one, you learn about someone by visiting where they work. Number two, swing for the fence. And number three, have creativity at the adults table. That was David Lee, the Chief Creative Officer of Squarespace. In the next episode, I explore the topic is creativity, nature, or nurture further through my conversation with one of the world's leading educators and the former dean of Apple University, Joel Podolny. So stay tuned. I am Ray Namoto, and this is The Creative Mindset. See you next time.